Hello and welcome to the Bridge Community Church Listen Again podcast. We are so glad you are listening. Our prayer is that what you are about to hear encourages you and builds your faith. Good morning, Bridge Community Church. Greetings from COVID Castle. Yes, here we are in the Oakley household. My boys have kindly passed on COVID to me as a PCR test proved positive on Thursday. So I'll try my best to navigate through the next 20, 25 minutes or so to help us try and understand something we're looking at today where we answer the question, does God really love me? The sense of being loved is so important, isn't it? It helps us make better decisions. It moves us out of fear, moves us out of insecurity, all because we know we're loved. And in a way, on a today like Harvest Thanksgiving Festival, I hope the platform's looking good. Thank you for all your generosity. I really hope that's part of our expression, that we sense we are loved by God with his provision day by day, his nourishment day by day and his care for us. <clears throat> and in the Bible, clearly from page across page across page, it's written that God is love. God is love. And we kind of process those words, don't we? But perhaps when life gets a bit tough, perhaps when we fail or we fall, perhaps when we feel pretty insignificant or small, we can start to doubt the love of God. And in a way, this is what this series is about, because it isn't so much about God's statements that he is love. It's more about the pictures, the demonstrations, the illustrations, that somehow they will burn on our mind that we are loved by God. So for the next four weeks, through the next four weeks in October, really are having a whole dose of self-indulgence in trying to grasp how much we're loved by God. And in particular today, we're thinking about the caress of God. Isn't it true when we sometimes look at the touch, the way somebody touches somebody, we say, yeah, they just love them, just perhaps that stroke of a cheek, or perhaps the way they look at somebody, just the caress of the eyes. We get that indication that somebody is loved. And today I want to bring that out from our perspective, that the way God reaches out and touches, the way God looks upon us, is like a caress of love. So I hope you'll be able to stick with me over the next 20, 25 minutes. Hopefully my voice will be okay as we really do look at this whole idea that we are loved by God. Okay, so my key statement for today is you should know you are beautiful and loved by God. You're like, what? Why? How, David? Well, three things we're going to pick out to show that you can be assured that you are beautiful and you are loved by God. First of all, you're going to see it in an invitation. When you get invitations, that sense of being included, isn't it? It's a sense that you're wanted and God does that for us. But secondly, there is an infatuation. God is obsessed with us, which again is an indication of love. And lastly, God wants to become really intimate with us. He doesn't want the distance. He doesn't want to be arm's length. No, it's up close, really up close. And we're going to see that today. So in order to help us unpack this, we're going to turn to an ancient piece of poetry. It's called the Song of Songs. We find it in the Bible, in what's called the Wisdom Literature. And uh, it's this beautiful, beautiful collection of poems around human love. The love between a man and a woman on the marriage day. So it's pretty X-rated stuff in spots. <laughs> Gotta be honest, might be bits today that we might blush a little bit. But um, I hope you just bring some encouragement to you because it is a picture 
also, in addition to human love, of God's love for his people. So I'm going to ask you today to pop on your bifocal glasses a little bit so that you look down from one perspective, you enjoy all the poetry about human love between a man and a woman, a husband and wife. But then secondly, we look in the distance and see God's love for us. God's love for his bride. It's been very typical of commentators of Jewish and Christian origin to embrace this Song of Psalms as a picture of God's love for us, for the bride, for his church. And we're going to jump in at chapter four of Song of Songs. And um, it's like a Middle Eastern poem that was often read on the wedding day as the bride enters into the wedding ceremony. And uh, I don't know about you, but if that was read, I'm sure you'd be pretty embarrassed because it's pretty graphic stuff, to be honest. But nevertheless, it's this celebration of the wonder of a woman's body, a celebration of all that's going to be enjoyed, the beauty of God's creation and the wonder of it. And I must admit, on my wedding day, when I saw Kerry coming down the aisle, stunningly beautiful, 20 years ago, dressed in white, just wow. What a sight, took my breath away. And that's why we read in Song of Songs 4 verse 7, it says, You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. That is God's declaration over us. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. And you're like, what? <clears throat> As I look at myself, I don't consider myself beautiful. Consider myself a bit dirty, a bit ugly, a bit dark, a bit... Uh, how can God say this to us? As I look in the mirror, I don't seem to match up to this flawless perspective that God has. But this is the opinion of God. Such is his love for you and me. This is the way he sees us. And so this is what we're really going to focus in on. I hope we can feel this more and more and enjoy this more and more in our experience. Okay, then. Let's move on. Let's move on to that first point then. We sense God's love. We sense that God thinks we're beautiful because of his invitation. This is part of the journey of harvest, if you like. We see this picture of uh, somebody who's isolated, desolated, in the distance on a mountaintop, and yet they get invited on this journey of provision and companionship and care. And in a way, this is what we enjoy with God, with his daily provision, as we see at harvest time. So a question to get us thinking about this. What was the last good invitation you got? What was the last good invitation you got? Got to be honest, I got a really good invitation last Saturday. That was to go to my mate's birthday, going for the full works, the curry, the you name it was great. Then COVID struck our house. So I couldn't go and instead I got a bit of a running text commentary. It wasn't quite the same, but I have to be honest, appreciated the invitation, even though we couldn't make it. I was so glad to be invited. So if you had a good invitation of late, listen to God's invitation to you as somebody he loves. Verse 8 of Song of Solomon's 4 says this, Song of Songs says this, Come with me from Lebanon, my bride, come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the crest of Armana. From the top of Senir, the summit of Hermon, from the lion's den and the mountain horns of leopards. So it's this invitation to come on a journey. The bride-to-be <coughs> is located in this mountain peak. Exposed place, dangerous place. You can imagine the winds, the gales, the, 
uh, inclement weather, the dangers there. It talks about lions and leopards. Not a place of productivity, not a place of provision, not a place of companionship and care. So the bridegroom to be, he says, come on this journey with me. Come on this journey into a place of safety and security and beauty. And as I'm thinking about this, it's very much the offer I gave to Kerry when we got married just over 20 years ago. She was there living in beautiful Sussex, right near the cliffs and the sea and everything. And I made her that offer that couldn't be refused of come to Salford in Manchester, enjoy my companionship. And for some weird reason, she said yes. But clearly there's a much better invitation here, much better offer that God provides here. This offer of companionship saying, come on this journey, I love you. Come on this journey. How can we be short of this invitation? Why do we get such an invitation? Well, <clears throat> verse 9 shows us why. The bridegroom-to-be says this of his future bride. You've stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You've stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. And of course we get that, don't we? Just a glimpse and our hearts can be stolen. Just that, perhaps across a crowded room where eyes meet. Our heart misses a beat and our hearts can be stolen. And in a way, this is what God is saying to us as this human picture of love, where love at first sight maybe, or love with this glance. It's just this image of when God gets a sight of us, when our eyes make contact with God, when we turn and face God, when we say something to God, when we just turn and face him in some way. His heart misses a beat. His heart is captured anew and afresh as he longs to be with us. And in the Jewish culture, they very much had three key elements of their love languages, if you like. There is the language of seduction, like the poetry we see here. There's the language of security as well. And then, of course, there is the sexual language. And in Jewish culture, it was very much, as you bring all three of these together, then you can have a prosperous marriage, a marriage that the flames will keep on burning for many, many years. And this is the imagery that's being used here. God is almost using seductive language to draw us in, saying, I love you, I love you. And as we shall see later, that desire for intimacy is very strong here. So how do we know we're loved by God? Well, we've got an invitation. Second reason why we know we're loved by God is because he's infatuated with us. He declares we're beautiful and he declares we're loved because he's so infatuated with us. So question is, who or what is your infatuation? Who or what is your infatuation? Maybe it's a pop star. Maybe it's a film star. Like my mum, it always used to be Paul Newman. She was allowed to fancy him on the big screen. My dad allowed that. You know, we all grow up with a sense of infatuation. Or it might be a thing. It might be a hobby. It might be a team. It might be a sports thing you do. But sometimes we go through these phases of infatuation. Great thing is with God, it's not infatuation. It's true. It seems to be permanent. Listen to this in verse 10. How delightful is your love, my sister and my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine and fragrance of your perfume more than any spice. See the delight that's coming out of God. He's absolutely infatuated with what he's seeing and experiencing here. The love 
of his future bride, here declared as a sister, but then also declared as the word bride, this progression, if you like, of um, intimacy that's going to develop in the coming days. And he said, your love is better than wine, your fragrance, your perfume is better than any spice. And he carries on as well in verse 11, your lips drop sweetness as honeycomb, my bride, milk and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. <coughs> so we see here the sight, the sound, the smell, all causes God to be obsessed and infatuated with us. Our sight, when he catches a glimpse of us, when he catches a smell of us, when he hears what we've got to say pleasant to him it causes his heart to jump and to be so in love with us it's exciting isn't it so it talks there about lips dropping sweetness that's like a kiss this picture of lovers kissing and that embrace of that warmth love together but it's not just the lips the kiss they have milk and honey are under your tongue the very words this bride is declaring bring such joy to the bridegroom so the sight the sound, the smell of this bride. It's just all too much for the bridegroom. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And I hope you've been there once or twice in your life where just the spou your spouse's smell side just takes you, takes your heart away. Got to be honest, reach that stage in life where it's not quite true in our case. As many of you know, um, I have an office at the back of the church there and it's an office space that never sees any sunlight at all. So it's a bit dark, it's a bit dank, maybe even a bit damp actually. So often when I come home from work, I'm back here, Kerry goes, oh, you stink, you stink, stink of dampness, stink of muskness, stink of old age, you know. <laughs> so yeah, over the years, this stuff, infatuation does fade, but with God, it doesn't. How about that? The sight the sound, the smell of you causes God to leap out and say, I love you. Again, how we struggle with that. Because I smell awful at times before God. I must look awful before God. Some of the stuff I say, uh, it's embarrassing. But somehow we've got to grasp God's view. We've got to run with God's view to move out of fear, to move out of insecurity and move into functioning into the love of God. Okay. We're going to move into a bit more of the raunchy stuff now in these verses. And so I want to pause and ask a question. What's the why behind sexual desire? As I'm reading these verses, I see it's totally okay to be loved up and super romantic with your spouse, with the person you've married. It's okay. The Bible affirms that and celebrates that and rejoices that. But if I'm honest, it's not true for all of us, is it? Um, we have this thing called sexual desire, yet it seems to be so limited in the ways we can express it. The Bible is constantly, right throughout its pages, is challenging us on what is acceptable in terms of sexuality and expressions of sexuality. We start off in Genesis, pictures one man, one woman for the rest of their lives, exclusively married together. And then this is repeated right throughout the laws, right throughout the prophets, right throughout the wisdom literature we're considering today, right throughout the New Testament and the words and the teaching of Jesus. And then with the letters that are written by church leaders and eventually Revelation, it's still the same picture. One man, one woman together 
for the rest of their lives. That's the only place where God seems to declare sexual expression is right and is good and is healthy for us as human beings. So yeah, that leaves us with a bit of trouble, doesn't it? Because many of us, we're not married. Perhaps some of you are married, but you're not in a sexual relationship for whatever reason. Might be health, might be emotional issues, we don't know. Might be age, you know. Um, And then there's those who are same-sex attracted as well. Like, it feels a bit unfair. It feels like this sexual desire within us can be a bit of a curse. Wouldn't it be great if we could just have a button that we could switch on or off? You know, what use is our belly button? Perhaps we just press that and... You know, when we, on our wedding night, yeah, hit the belly button and let the sexual desire flow. But the rest of the time, let's not. Because we're not allowed to really express it. How, what's the reason behind this? Why has God given us sexual desires? Well, I came across a quote from the writer John Piper and he said this. We have sexual desire because it makes God more deeply knowable. Sexual language and imagery are graphic and powerful imagery to describe God's relationship with his people. So basically from this quote, we see that sexual desire is not a curse. It has a purpose. It helps us to know God more deeply, helps us to understand what God feels. If you've ever been rejected sexually, if you've ever felt betrayal sexually, if for whatever reason you've been damaged sexually, you know what God feels because God is often betrayed by us. God is often rejected by us. God is often stabbed in the back by us. We can feel his pain. We feel his desire because of our sexual desires. It helps us identify with him more closely. Therefore, by having sexual desires that we can't switch on or can't switch off, there is a purpose. We can know God more deeply. We can understand where he's coming from when he longs for us to be faithful, longs for us to not be lukewarm, longs for us to be surrendered and on fire for him. Yeah, sexual desire. It's a struggle. It's a tension. It's difficult, but it can be channeled for the purposes of God. With that in mind, let's move on to this last section that does get a bit X-rated, as it's a call for intimacy from God. He just loves us. He thinks we're so beautiful. He wants to get close to us. He doesn't want to be arm's length. He wants to be really close to us, connected to us. And so the question is, how important is sex in your life? So it probably depends if you're in a relationship or not. Depends what situation or stage you're at in life. But to God, sex is really important. I feel like it's one of the coping mechanisms he gives us as we look at the wisdom literature. You know, Ecclesiastes, having a sense of purpose is a great coping mechanism. In the Psalms, the ability to sing and express poetry is a great coping mechanism here in life. Proverbs, having wisdom is a great coping mechanism as well in life. And we get another one here. Sexual intercourse within heterosexual marriage seems to be another thing that can help us navigate life if we are in that position. And so we read... In verses 12 to 13 of the intimacy that God is looking for. The groom says to his bride, you're a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You're a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits, with henna and nard. So here we see this picture of exclusivity. Do you see that? The garden locked up. 
So this guard and this bride is not for anybody, is not for everybody, exclusively and entirely for her husband. Just gives herself exclusively to him. And uh, her desire for him isn't just out of a sense of duty, lie back, think of England, this kind of thing. It seems to be a sealed fountain. There's this explosion of desire within her. So there's no repression here. She wants to give herself willingly to her groom to express her sexuality as well. And we start to see fruit emerge, and this continues in 14 and 15. Nard and saffron, calamus, cinnamon, every kind of incense tree, myrrh, aloes are all the finest spices. You're a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. Many of these fragrances, many of these fruits were actually not natural to Israel. They were imported substances, imported herbs, imported fruits from Sri Lanka, from India, from the Far East. And it gives us this picture that as we unite with Jesus, we start to see fruit emerge. We start to see fragrances emerge and they don't come naturally. As a result of our relationship, they're imported into our life. The fragrance of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit. Peace, love, joy, all those kinds of things start to come out of us because of our unity and intimacy with Jesus. And it says there at the end, there's a well of flowing water. There's just this spring that just keeps bringing life to this garden. And the smells and the fruitfulness and the fragrances just keep emerging. So what a picture of God's desire. He wants to be so intimate with us, wants to be so united with us, almost like a bride and a bridegroom on the wedding night. And as a result of that, fruit and fragrance will emerge, the fruit of the Spirit, the fragrance of Christ. What a picture. And so what is our response to all this? We've seen the invitation, the infatuation, the intimacy. <coughs> How should we respond? Well, the final X-rated sexual picture, if you like, we see in verse 16 of Song of Solomon 4. And this might be a great picture, a great response for us to grasp and grapple with in this coming week. Awake, north wind, and come, south wind, blow on my garden, that his fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. So this is the response of the bride at the sight of her groom and everything he's offered with the invitation, infatuation and the desire for intimacy. That desire for intimacy from the bride is come here, come here. I want you. I want you close. I don't want you to be distant. And he just wants that groom to take possession of her, to enjoy her, to take over her. Is this how we view God? Is this what we say to God? Please, God because of your invitation, because of your infatuation, because of your love and your desire to be intimate and close with me. Come, take possession of me. Take hold of me. Take hold of my whole life and let that fruit emerge. Let that fragrance emerge that can be enjoyed by the people all around us. Yes, you are totally loved, totally beautiful before our God. Let's not doubt it. See it in the invitation, see it in the infatuation, see it in the intimacy, and then respond. Talks there about blow north wind, blow come south wind, cooling breeze from the north, a warm breeze from the south. And of course, as we think of wind and breeze, as we think of the Holy Spirit, saying, come Holy Spirit, come, take possession of me, have me, 
as a right response. I trust you will know you will love this week and respond accordingly. God bless you. If you enjoyed today's podcast, check us out on social media at Bridge CC UK. Thanks for listening and have a great day.